Welcome to the DebtWire Middle Market Podcast. I'm Bill Weisbrod, reporter with DebtWire Middle Market. As of June 2018, direct lending funds were sitting on a post-crisis high of 90 billion U.S. dollars, according to Prequin, with the majority of that slated for investment in North America. As fund managers look to put those dollars to work in leveraged loans, they're competing with each other as well as other lenders to meet borrower and private equity sponsors' demands to win deals. Today, we're joined by two lawyers who represent borrowers and private equity funds in leveraged loan deals to talk about how that competition is currently reflected in loan documents' financial covenants. Our guests are Jocelyn Hirsch, a partner with Kirkland & Ellis. Hi, Jocelyn. Hi, Bill. Nice to be here. And Alex Zeltzer, a partner with Robes & Gray. Hi, Alex. Hi, Bill. Thanks for joining us. So let's get right to it. Throughout the recovery from the last financial crisis, leveraged loan deal terms have favored issuers, including middle market companies that may be riskier borrowers than larger counterparts. So at present, how's that borrower-friendly market reflected in loan documents for middle market deals, specifically with regards to covenants and EBITDA addbacks? I can start. Um, you know, I would say that it's reflected in the sense that we see a lot of the you know EBITDA technology that started in broadly syndicated bulge bracket facilities finding their way into middle market deals, uh, both in syndicated middle market deals and club deals. For example, today in many, if not most, middle market deals, uh, leverage tests are tested net of cash. EBITDA is often calculated in a more sophisticated manner with a lot more specificity around one-time costs um, and things that might come up. And fixed charge coverage ratios, interest coverage ratios, minimum EBITDA covenants and capbacks are often not really seen in the middle market any longer. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, there are exceptions, but I would say generally speaking, you know, that those are all examples of how you know large cap technology is sort of moving its way into the middle market. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree with what Jocelyn said. I'd also note that you know. Covenant light loans have essentially become the norm, as everyone knows, in the bulge bracket uh, syndicated space. Middle market lenders have responded by being more aggressive in offering covenant light solutions to borrowers. Mm-hmm. Uh, prior to last year, I would have said that a borrower would have had to have at least 50 million of EBITDA to mm-hmm. consider a covenant light financing solution. That's that quantum has been under continuous pressure recently. Last year, Bill, you may recall we spoke, and I said that the threshold had moved from 50 uh, to the low 40 million dollar range, and I think. You know, now I would say it's somewhere in the mid to high 30s. Mm-hmm. So that is a very, very powerful tool for borrowers to be able to deploy, you know, both in order to be able to get a covenant light solution and also to apply competitive pressure elsewhere uh, if they have other, you know, important objectives. Anything else to add about how that dynamic has changed in more more recent years in terms of covenants and, and what uh, borrowers are asking for? Yeah, I think I would agree with Alex's experience on sort of the level of EBITDA that that, uh, allows one to get cov light. And then I guess I would say, you know, I think part of the reason the dynamic has changed is, you know, a lot of large cap sponsors are moving, you know, down market, so to speak. Um, And when that happens, you you know, they're, they're used to their form credit agreements with their precedent EBITDA definitions. And, you know, frankly, they expected on all their deals across their portfolio. And as they move into the middle market, they bring that document and port it over. Um, And so I think that really has been a huge driver as to why you're seeing a lot of these EBITDA definitions and covenants 
becoming more sophisticated and CovLight moving down market? I would agree with that. I think there are some other kind of trends that are also contributing. I think one would obviously be the supply and demand in the market. And you obviously spoke to, you know, all the liquidity and these funds uh, that are now competing with banks, but you also see, you know, a lot of deals that have over subscriptions. Uh, one thing we kind of look at to see where supply and demand is at. Uh, while no individual metric is perfect, we sometimes look at, you know, the ratio of deals that have been flexed in favor of the borrowers as opposed to the ratio of deals that have been flexed in favor of lenders. And, you know, if that's roughly equal, then, you know, that's a proxy for uh, an equilibrium. And, of course, there are events like the stock market gyrations that have happened in recent weeks that will you know, completely throw off syndicated uh, executions. Mm-hmm. Is, is that reflected in, in more clubbish deals from what you see? Certainly when syndications start to get um, tricky um, or, you know, you start reading in the trade periodicals that, you know, flex is, is happening to borrowers, then, yes, if people do start to consider club uh, executions more seriously. Um, a lot of club executions get done for other reasons as well, but, wow. but certainly when the tech markets get choppy, uh, club market solutions are definitely brought to the fore. No, I agree with that. I mean, the only other thing I would say is a big dominant trend in terms of why uh, – you know, covenants and EBITDA addbacks are trending in the directions we're noting is the just state of information in the market. Mm-hmm. Um, I think market observers, uh, like for example, DebtWire and other, you know, other publications are uh, proliferating information uh, to market participants. So they have better information than ever before. And that's only accelerating, I think. And secondly, I think, you know, a lot of the activity here is sponsor driven and in the mid-market, we've seen a large trend across uh, clients in terms of either adding dedicated capital markets professionals or augmenting teams and working on their knowledge management and making sure that their, you know, their fund is at the trend line mm-hmm. when they're in the market. Totally agree. Gets back to that consistency point, right? Um, you know, these larger sponsors bringing their forms no matter what level of the market they're playing in and kind of expecting consistency um, across, you know, all their all their deals. And it sounds like as they do that, the, um, the lenders that they're talking to are, for the most part, willing to uh, go along with that. That's right. That's my experience. I mean, yeah. it's, it, you know, it can depend, but yeah. I think um, for the most part, yes, and especially when things are competitive – you know, it's often something we talk about before we choose a, a, a lead left arranger. Mm-hmm. Um, so specifically, which covenants are middle market borrowers most commonly seeking to remove from loan documents? And which, which covenants do lenders push for the most in terms of keeping in there? I think most borrowers are, you know, trying to get rid of fixed charges and CapEx and any kind of interest coverage and minimum EBITDA which, by the way, I would say minimum EBITDA is almost extinct. Um, cash netting for a leverage ratio is is the most common ask. And then more than anything, I think borrowers just want to seek, you know, enhanced clarity around addbacks um, so that there's you don't have to wrestle with some sort of interpretation as to whether a particular cost, you know, can be added back or not. Alex, I don't know if you have anything else to add. Yeah. I mean, I would I would say I, I agree with that. I would say the other place we're seeing 
um, uh, some advancement in favor of the borrower is as as you know I think a leverage covenant in uh, lower end of the mid market de- in lower end of the mid market deals you're absolutely going to have to live with but borrowers are looking to kind of uh, chip away at the edges there, both in terms of EBITDA addbacks and either having no caps or or pushing for the largest caps you can get, um, but also just basically trying to get a larger cushion uh, on the covenant level against their model and negotiating the rate at which step downs can occur. So I think you know when faced with that last covenant, you know people are sort of chipping away at it uh, at the lower end of the market and as Jocelyn said on the higher end of the market. Um, you know, you're seeing you're seeing terms that match bulge bracket. What would you say? What would you describe as the lower end of the market in terms of an annual EBITDA figure for a borrower? Uh, I think it's you know I think it's it's I would say maybe fifteen to twenty million and below, but it really depends because I think different borrowers and their owners have different strategies in terms how in terms of how they would approach the market. So you know some some borrowers are going to value a quick execution and focus exclusively on price and may not have the history that the large traditional large cap sponsors have with being able to utilize some of this flexibility so they may not see uh, perceived value in pursuing it um, so you see some you know different approaches of that deal size but certainly below 15 million absolutely or below 20 million I think you're going to be stuck with a with a leverage covenant for, for certain and and, and you know but hopefully, as Jocelyn noted, that's it. And you both know, you both ran off a list of uh, of some covenants that borrowers and sponsors are asking to have removed, or as or and successfully having removed. Are there any that you're seeing lenders really stick on and and not be willing to give up as much as they can? For sure, the leverage covenant. Um, I would say that on a lower middle market deal, often you do see a fixed charge coverage ratio. So, you know, at that 20 EBITDA breakpoint that Alex mentioned and below, more likely than not, you probably are going to have a fixed charge coverage ratio. Depends on the, and also would depend, I think, on a lot of, a lot of businesses that are CapEx intensive. The lenders are absolutely going to want to control CapEx and whether that's through just a straight covenant or a fixed charge, a straight CapEx covenant or a fixed charge covenant, um, you know, that's subject to negotiation. But if a CapEx is a big story, that might be, that might be a battle. Got it. And in terms of EBITDA addbacks, what type of addbacks do you see borrowers asking for? Well, you know, in addition to standard addbacks for deal costs and things like that, um, I think more and more often we're seeing a basket for you know, unusual, non-recurring type costs with a lot of specificity so that, you know, if something comes up as a sponsor sort of builds out its investment thesis, it knows that those sorts of things can be an addback. So things like severance, recruiting, costs associated with, you know, integration, build out of enhanced, you know, IT and accounting systems, um, things like that. You know, there might be a negotiation as to whether that's capped as a percent of EBITDA, but um, rather than rely on sort of the more vague language around non-recurring costs, uh, we're seeing sponsors and borrowers want to you know, put some meat on the bones, so to speak, around that. And then in addition, I think we're seeing 
and, the, and these are all concepts that, you know, came from the large cap market, um, you know, pro forma run rate for cost savings associated with either the, the subject transaction or, you know, permitted acquisitions that might occur down the road. That's something that people are, are really pushing for, especially in the upper middle market. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I mean, I would, you know, there's there's one counterintuitive result as a result of the trend in, in favor of borrowers uh, that I find interesting. It's as as these ad backs become broader from the large cap markets in terms of the language, they use terms like integration or business optimization expense um, in the in the sort of litany of items that are are broadly added back. I think that that has swallowed up what you used to see more often in the mid-market where you'd have, you know, very specific exceptions which refer to, you know, specific locations or specific people or time periods. I mean, there's no need from the borrower perspective uh, to do that uh, unless you're subject to a cap, in which case you would try to, you know, specify items uh, that you could so that you're not subject to the cap with respect to those particular items. Got it. And we've talked a lot about middle market as a concept. So defining that as around $50 million in annual EBITDA and down. Uh, what are some of the big differences in covenants that you're seeing between larger syndicated deals, syndicated middle market deals, and middle market club deals, having noted that a lot of these larger syndicated deal terms are filtering down? Yeah, I mean, I was going to say in the upper middle market, really no discernible difference between a, a a big deal. You know, you're going to see all the same ad backs, um, same covenant structure, all the bells and whistles around incrementals, unlimited acquisitions, ratio debt, grower baskets. I mean, those those are those tend to be pretty much identical. Um, as you go, you know, more down market, it's sort of situational. You know, as Alex pointed out, we're able to achieve some of that at lower you know, EBITDA levels than we had in the past. And then, um, you know, as you further get down into like a club deal, it, it really becomes more sort of a bilateral negotiation. Um, and it it depends on the sophistication of the, the borrower, um, you know, what, how many lenders you're dealing with. And in some cases you can, you know, I believe that the middle market can actually be very innovative and, you you can get pretty bespoke ad backs. You have you know a, a, a higher ability to actually just you know make your case directly to a lender and explain why you need you know a particular you know run rate um, you know credit for uh, recurring revenue that might be coming or any other kind of situational um, event because you you know you're dealing directly with a, a lender or a small group of lenders which you know, in some ways can really lead to creativity and some, you know, interesting adbacks. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with that again. And I, I would add to that, you know, one observation that we've seen, and it's really been pronounced um, between 2017 and 2018, is, as Jocelyn referenced, I think there's still, you still have to have the cash flows and no major red flags to access the benefits of some of these borrower-friendly trends that we've been describing. But for credits that have those features. Uh, I would say last year when we would go out in a situation where we were trying to discover uh, on behalf of our client what terms would look like in a syndicated solution versus a non-syndicated solution, we spent some time, you know, on our end trying to make sure that 
we were reasonable in our ask uh, with the non-syndicated, solu- non-syndicated solution. And um, we had actually observed in, in, in certain situations, and I've heard of others, um, that lenders are actually doing some of the things that you see more often in the M&A market, like they're actually coming in and undercutting, meaning doing better than the, the borrower's ask. Uh, and really being aggressive, trying to win the deal. So I think you've seen a trend towards borrowers really employing a lot of the same tactics when going out to determine, you know, which type of, of, of debt they want to pursue. Obviously, for a, a, you know, for certain solutions, you may have obvious things like call protection. But you know, on the margins and the things that we're talking about, uh, the key items that we're talking about today, you would often approach them very, very similarly. Why do you think that is that they're looking to undercut and do they do that right off the bat do they how do they know what the ask is going to be ahead of time or do they quickly come back with a better offer well i mean i wouldn't say that that's a prevalent you know tactic <laughs> uh from lenders yet we've seen it uh a little bit and that's certainly more than the none that i had seen it uh, in my career previously so that's sort of been a new been a new development, but I think lenders are pretty aware of the market. I think one of the challenges in the in the marketplace we're in right now is that, from the borrower perspective, it behooves borrowers, for all the reasons we've described, uh, to cast a fairly wide net uh, and see who's willing to give them the best terms, unless there's a separate reason they want to pursue an individual lender. Um, but at the same time, particularly when you're dealing with funds, you have to make an assessment that the fund is itself probably sending out a lot of term sheets chasing deals. So on the borrower side, you know, you have to determine pretty quickly and want to hear some strong signals from the lenders that they're very interested in getting to the finish line on a particular credit. Got it. Well, thank you both. Anything else uh, either of you would like to add on and anything we discussed today? Not on my end. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Bill, and thank you, Josh. Yeah, thank you both for taking the time.